That's some good news. I'm glad that's coming up. Um, we've had a huge donation from Walmart for school supplies, just to keep you updated on that. Um, filled up one of the back rooms back there. So when we, for that packing party that we're going to have, so if you're going to bring things for the packing party, we don't need school supplies anymore. Bring toys or, or uh, hygiene items or one of, those, one of those two things would be great, uh, especially the toy side of things. And that's coming up. So keep that in prayer as we move closer and closer to uh, collecting from all the uh, surrounding churches and all, that they'd be, you know, stirred and moved and ready to uh, bless these kids and uh, that we'd be ready also. Um, today, after second service, is planned a uh, baptism, our last baptism of the year. I don't think we can postpone it. I, we have the harvest party next Sunday, and then the, uh, the Sunday after that, um, well, that's it. I mean, we're in November. We're not baptizing in November. You know, you just, we'll find out, put you in the sink in the kitchen or something, or I don't know. Anyway, so that's today at two tentatively. If we have lightning, no, not doing it. So um, anyway, that's the plan. Today we'll be in Job chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles and we'll get through these three chapters here and, and uh, be blessed because of it. Lord, we thank you for your word as we march through your text. We, we thank you for it. Um, we thank you for the perseverance of Job, um, the example that he sets for us, um, the lessons that we learn from it. Um, we pray that we'd remember these things that we learn. Um, we don't need them today, maybe. Some of us might. But we will need them later in life. Um, every one of us goes through seasons and times, and uh, we need to rely on you and what we've learned in your word. And so I pray that you keep these things in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important to remember, I think, that Job still has the grip of Satan around his life. I notice that when I visit somebody who's sick or I think about somebody or pray for somebody or step into somebody's life while they're uh, going through something, I get a glimpse and then I walk away and then I get kind of carried away with my life and I forget that they're still going through that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think about um, their struggles off and on, and it kind of overwhelms you to think, the last time I thought about that person was a week ago, and they've been going through this the entire time. And it can kind of break your heart that you've sort of had a happy-go-lucky week, maybe, um, a really blessed week, and you forget they're still struggling kind of thing. So I thought maybe that was a, this is a good time in chapter 12 to remind ourselves that Satan, although given permission by God to touch Job's health, hasn't released his grip. He has a supernatural skin condition happening right now where boils have covered him from head to toe and they're not closing up and he's not healing up. It's just continual to the point where he's in the dust and he's taking a pot shard, a piece of pottery, broken pottery, and he's scraping them off and letting the dust, I mean, he's doing what he can do to try to take care of all these things and not to be too gross because I don't think that's the point of it. But imagine your skin, the largest organ of your body, it's designed to do one thing only, and that's to feel, to sense. And from head to toe, all it can sense is waves of pain. Getting the shivers or the chills is excruciating for someone with this kind of condition. And so he's dealing with that. And I know how I get when I have a stuffed up nose. I'm not the most friendly person to be around. My attitude changes a little bit, you know. And when we get sick, we get a little bit grumpy. Well, you can imagine where Job is right now. And so <clears throat> Satan is also brought along with this skin condition. 
and the waves of pain that are going over him, not just having to deal with that, but having to deal with counselors that are pooling their ignorance about the Lord. They really don't know. They're just guessing. They're making suggestions and accusations and assumptions, and none of that is helping him. And so we left off last week in verse 1, then Job answered, he's answering uh, Zophar, who urged Job to repent, there must be something wrong, bad things don't happen to good people, apparently. And so Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people um, and the wisdom will die with you, you know, and so he's being sarcastic with them. Um, your advice is, is amazing, and what are we going to do without you when you die? And he, he isn't appreciating it. But he has enough wherewithal to go ahead and answer them and to not leave these things unanswered. Now, his answers aren't much better than theirs, but I think we can give him a lot more grace and mercy than I can the other three guys because he's the one going through it right now and being attacked. So he finishes with verse 3, But I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such, th- such things as these? Now, you're not telling me anything new. This is something we all know. You're, you're Captain Obvious here telling me what I, what I know. I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. That's our first break this morning. He says, you guys have said stuff that we already know. Well, a lot of it's, you know, false. But it is the prevailing opinion of the day about God. And so Job naturally says, yeah, I know that. I've taught that kind of stuff. Well, some of it's wrong. And God will correct him at the end here, and we know that. But going off of what he knows, and that's all any of us can do is go off of what we know about God. None of us knows God or knows the word of God completely. So we know what we know, and that's what we share. And over time, maybe God corrects some of our doctrine and changes things around a little bit. and More light comes into our life through God's word. And, oh, you know, and you realize certain things. So he is where he is. It's just it's the best he can do right now. He doesn't know. Now he's going to learn a lot at the end here in the last four chapters. But um, And he's going to have doctrine straightened out. And he's going to look a whole lot and feel a whole lot and sound a whole lot more like what we feel and sound like because we have a pretty good grasp of God because he's given us more of his word than Job had at the time. So Job's going to be informed. So when he says, I'm one mocked by my friends, I called on God, I'm blameless, he is right. He is just and blameless. It's not like what we think. He's not saying, oh, I'm perfect, and I've called on God. And it, this is all uh, unwarranted, you know, uh, strife, unwarranted uh, trials and tribulations. I didn't earn any of this stuff. That's not what he's actually saying. He's saying, I'm just. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I offer up sacrifices for my family. He certainly offers up sacrifices for himself as well. He knows what it means to be just and what it means to be blameless. That's all any of us can ask for. That's what we all want. And as I look at Job and I read about Job, and considering he's, a, he's God's champion on the earth at the time, now I haven't gone through what Job's gone through, and I can't imagine what he's going through, but some of the things he's saying, some of the understandings about God, he's off by quite a bit in some areas, you know, doctrinally, about the Lord and yet is God's champion on the earth at this time. 
which causes me to give myself a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy about what I know and what I don't know. And I mean, because that's our, that is our, not problem, but our thought. For those of us who love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, want to live for him, we do have those thoughts. It's like, am I okay with God? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? Am I close enough? I know that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, and there's nothing I can add to that. I'm not trying to do good works. I just wonder if I'm okay, you know? Well, as you read about Job, that should encourage us and a lot of us in different areas of our life. Am I okay? Well, yeah, I don't think that about the Lord. Not that I'm better than Job, but in a humble way, it's like, that's good. This is encouraging to me. You think about some of the guys that God saved, some of the saints that we read about in the honest evaluation of their life that only these scriptures give us. Such a blessing. There's not rose-colored glasses when we look at some of these guys' lives. God just lays it out. Yep, David was a man after my own heart, and he had an affair, and he had a baby, and he killed the guy. And Oh, I mean, wow. Samson, yep. I mean, he's in the hall of faith. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, really. And it's not to make us feel better because we're not supposed to look horizontally, but sometimes you kind of want to know, I know I'm supposed to look vertically and I'm constantly looking at Jesus and I never match up, but I kind of want to know, wait, as long as some people are going to heaven and the Bible's documented those who are saved, kind of want to look at their lives and see what that looked like, you know? So as we look at Job here, it's kind of encouraging. You guys don't like light, he says. The more light we bring in, it bothers you because you're at ease. Um, And that the light's not for you. The light's only for those that are ready to slip, he says, which reminds you of Jesus' passage when he says, I I have not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. What the physician's for is for the sick. You guys are fine. He's being sarcastic. You guys aren't fine. You're not okay. But if you guys think you're okay, don't worry about it. I'm not here for the healthy people like you. I'm here for the people that are sick, that know they're sick at least. Those I can minister to, and that's what the light is for. That's what the lamp's for. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure, and what God provides by his hand. That's That's a problem for their doctrine. That's a problem for health and wealth doctrine. You know? How come robbers do well? If bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people and a lack of faith brings bad juju into your life, you know, or bad energy, I think is what the New Agers call it, or good energy or whatever, then there's a whole lot of bad people out there that ought to be having a whole lot worse days than me. Because they don't have any faith. In fact, they proclaim atheism, and yet there they are prospering. And so you run into that problem with, wait a minute. As I look around and I think about my doctrine, that doesn't really apply universally. It doesn't fit. That's what Job's saying. How come the robbers are prospering then? If if all that we're saying about God is true here, how come the robbers prosper? I don't know. You know, that's a rhetorical question. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 46, God acknowledges something that I forget sometimes. Today, it raining seems to be a, a, a perfect scripture for this. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. 
Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For, as an example, he makes his son, not his son, S-O-N, but S-U-N, he makes the son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. God says the rain fell on a pretty broad area today. Um, And boy, we're blessed for it. We're so thankful for it. We needed it. I know it kind of paused all the harvesting, but some of the harvesters are probably like, oh, darn, it's raining. You know, (laughs) I guess I'll have to take a day off and and rest a little bit and let the, well, probably not. Now we got to fix bearings and everything else, uh, fix our equipment. But it fell on bad farmers and good farmers. It fell on believers and unbelievers is the idea. And that's the case. God isn't there yet. He, he's going to get there with judgment, but he's not there yet with his judgment. That doesn't come until Revelation 19, which we've been going over on Thursday, which reminds me, forgot to make the announcement, no Revelation study this Thursday. I'll be out of town. So, whew, did it, remembered But his judgment doesn't come. We're in an age of a different kind of time period here. Christ is is trying to gain souls, trying to uh, 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 give out grace and mercy for anybody who'll take it, anybody that'll receive it. We're in this age now where grace is given. And so the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the evil. And so he's waiting for people, but that time comes to an end. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 The Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, he did that after Noah's flood. Up until Noah's flood, they were living until 900 years old and and so on. And and he says, I'm not going to strive with man forever. That was a long time to listen to their, you know, complaining and evil and all that. So I'm not going to strive with man forever. It's not always going to be like this. It's twofold. First of all, we're doing 120 and that's it. And if you ain't got it by then, you're not going to get it. So 120 is the limit. That's where we're going to die. And so he changed all that. And then also he is alluding to the fact that there's not going to be always that opportunity to get right with me. It doesn't always have, it, it, it isn't forever. It's not perpetual. Isaiah 55, 6, the prophet warns, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him, upon him while he is near. Indicating there's going to come a time when he won't be near, when you won't be able to call upon him anymore. There's only a, a certain time frame. Psalm 19, 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm was trying to remind us that there will be a time when God can't withhold his judgment anymore, it has to be poured out. It has to be done. He is a just God. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. And then finally, Revelation 19.11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's the end. That's it. That's the fulfillment of all those things we just read. It's not like he didn't tell us. It's not like the world didn't know. It's not like we weren't prepared or should be anyway. So why do the tents prosper or robbers uh, tents prosper and why is everybody doing well? It's coming. Make no mistake about it. 
Every wrong will be judged and dealt with. That being the case, that's why we come to Christ is because we don't want that dealing. I don't want to meet him in Revelation 19. I don't want him coming at me saying it's time. I'm going to, I'm going to take the way of escape, it's called. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the way out. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. The sins that he's coming back for in Revelation 19, that he's going to take care of, all those sins will be dealt with. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that sword. And so I'm going to believe him when he says in John 3.16 that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish or have everlasting life. I'll take that. Even in Revelation at the very end, the final words of Revelation, really, the final thought anyway, is this, this, this life that you can have, it's freely offered to you. Anybody that's thirsty, anybody that wants it, come and take it. Anybody, it's offered up to them. It's almost like not begging, but it's just a very open invitation for people to know you can be saved. It is your choice. It's right here in front of you. It's very near. Just believe. And that option is available and is available. It's available now even in Job's time. Even though Christ hasn't died yet, the hope of the Messiah is ingrained in all of them ever since Genesis. When he told the woman that the, the redemption is going to come from her. She's going to have, give birth to the seed that's going to stomp Satan's head. And, and that's what happens at the cross. Hasn't happened yet, but will. Verse 7. But now ask the beasts, and they'll teach you. And the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? And whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste its food? Wisdom is with the aged, and with length of days, understanding. We know this. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, he clearly, Paul, when writing to them, explains to them, it doesn't matter whether you've heard the gospel from me or not, you should at least know there's a creator just by looking around. And if you don't know there's a creator by looking around and you've changed all the things that are created into something to be worshipped as gods themselves, you missed the point entirely and you haven't looked up high enough and you haven't thought about it enough. You haven't come to the proper conclusions by looking at these things. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's why, keep that in mind, they know the truth, they suppress it because of unrighteousness. They would rather have that. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, for, uh, thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, 
who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore or forever. Amen. And it goes on from there, which probably should be read, but not enough time today. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in our world all around us. And if thought about and honestly thought about and evaluated, we would come to the conclusion there must be someone who's our creator. We would never come to the conclusion that this just happened. That is a lie. That is deception. And that is convenient because it allows for unrighteousness. And when given those two choices, a God who is supreme, who is perfect, who is moral, and therefore must be worshiped, there is no other logical conclusion to that, or I'm God, or I'm at least the top of the food chain of this creation, I'm, I'm the only one that can evaluate it properly compared to a cat or a dog or whatever, a dolphin. And that makes me at the top. I'd rather make myself like the most high, which is the, the sin. The sin that God warns us about all the time. And so therefore, I don't have to worship him. I can worship myself. I can make sure that I'm okay and enjoy my life. Eat, drink, for tomorrow I die. Of course, that isn't thought to its logical conclusion either. So you're nothing. You vaporize. You turn to nothing. Your life is valueless. It has no importance at all. You have no point in existence. I mean, you know, they just don't follow it through. They just stop where it's convenient. Job is trying to remind them, look, every, everything around us tells us that we all live and breathe within God. God has us in his hand. The reason my heart is beating involuntarily, I'm so thankful I don't have to think about that. Can you imagine? I can't even find my car keys or my glasses half the time. Can you imagine if we were responsible for our hearts and lungs, you know? Mm. God holds us in his hand. That's a good, healthy understanding for Job to bring up to these guys. To keep that in mind, it really gives perspective. Verse 13, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. In other words, he's not the cause of them, but he, they can't escape him. They're within his grasp is the idea. He leads counselors away, plundered. He makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with belt, their waist with a belt. He leads princes away, plundered, and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. Now, as I'm reading through this, we are just going to go through the rest of this chapter. There isn't, there isn't much more of a cross-reference for this. Um, I don't have any other cross-references. It's interesting that Job is acknowledging something that I think a lot of us are probably experiencing for the first time in our lives, actually. Whereas we can see people doing things and governments doing things and a political parties doing things, and we're like, how does that make sense to you? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you hear them saying stuff, and you're like, okay, two and two don't, does not equal five, and I don't know how you're getting that answer. How do you not see the hypocrisy, or how do you not see the problem with this? You printed $4 trillion in 12 years. How do you not see what's happening or coming? That's going to be fine. 
No, it's not going to be fine. It doesn't just evaporate. Now, maybe if we burned it all, that'd be fine, and we get back to something more manageable, but we printed. Now, I don't know if you understand that. I don't want to go into a great deal about economics, but the result is inflation. It's not about ships. Ships are bad. That's a whole other issue. We'll talk about that some other time when I'm on a different soapbox than the one I'm on this morning. But to think that we're not going to have inflation when we pump $4 trillion that we printed and put it into the economy and gave it to people that without production and without resources and without, you know, rarity and any of that. How did that make sense? It was a panic. It was a, it'll be fine or we'll deal with it later or, well, yeah, we're gonna. But we're seeing everything he's saying here. The idea is he, he can take he he can make counselors plundered, he can make judges look like fools. Because without God in our lives, without being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, my wisdom isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. It's foolishness. And anything I have that's worth sharing for to anybody or for anybody or with anybody, from my mouth, from my brain, from my heart to theirs, it either comes from God or it comes from me, and one is worthless and one is invaluable. And just to be clear, it's God's stuff that's invaluable, not mine. The idea is he can pull that anytime he wants. The great book, a little interesting to read, not written well, let's put it that way, but it's called The 5,000-Year Leap. And it's the, it's, the, it's the technology leap we've had in this country. And you, you know this to be true, but if you went from, if your grandma, my grandma, who was born 1905 or whatever, in her lifetime went from horse and buggy, went from riding a horse to school to the space shuttle. Never in the history of man have we ever had that kind of jump in technology. It's never happened. It's a 5,000-year leap in technology. And we are the inventors of most, if not 90 to 96% of every advance the United States is. And, and, and I'm not trying to boast about the United States. We don't go, yay us. No, yay God. Because we were a nation who were founded upon his principles and his, his love and his authority in our lives and he blessed us with wisdom. Now, we reject that authority. We reject that wisdom from him, and he's going to yank that brain with him. And we lose that. And all of a sudden, we think, well, I don't know, what's wrong with $4 trillion in print? We No big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. And the Christians that still have the mind of Christ are looking at the world around them saying, how did they not see this? And the unbelievers that do not have the mind of Christ can't figure out why we're so upset. What is the big deal? And it's like talking to a wall, both ways, both ways. They can't see the spiritual side of things, and we can't understand why they can't see the spiritual side of things, you know? So we go through this list, as Job does, and says, he takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chief or chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in pathless wilderness. 
They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like drunken man, like a drunken man. We're living that right now. Living it. Chapter 13, behold, my eyes, or my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty. So he's going to start a prayer here, and that's why I want to go through 14. I know it's a long read this morning, but he's got a prayer that's going to end after 14, so we want to get through that. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Those are his buddies. Now, I don't know why they're still sitting there. It's like, okay, yeah, worthless. I mean, I would just get up and go home if I were them. But no, they're not done. They're going to keep going for chapters. You're forgers of lies. You are worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. (laughs) Keep it to yourself, in other words. We have words for this. He is more eloquent than we are. Now, hear my reasoning, and heed the pleading of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God? and talk deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? It's a good question. Very dangerous thing when we begin to say God would, or God thinks, or I think God would, and we don't get that opportunity. God has explained who he, especially as Christians, we have the whole counsel of God right in front of us in our hands. Those Bibles are free. Take one with you. If you've never had the whole counsel of God, it's right there. You have all of it. In that... He says, you guys thought you were altogether like me, and he corrects them. You're talking like I'm like you, and I'm not. That's why we have the book, to explain to us what he's like, who he is, and compared to us, if he's conforming us into the image of Jesus, what needs to change and what needs to stay. And so when he says this, will you speak wickedly for God? Will you talk deceitfully? It's a very dangerous place as counselors or as people of God to begin to ad lib or um, improv, you know, improv God's counsel with other people. In John chapter 11, verses, uh, oh wait, that's not till 14, sorry. Yep, nope. All right, that was it. Moving on, verse nine. Will it be, will it be well when he searches, out, searches you out? Uh, or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you. If you, see, if you secretly show partiality, will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. I love that. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Now that, that's a plaque you can put up in your house, right? I watched this funny little video of a husband sitting on his couch. He goes, man, I just feel so blessed. So blessed. He looks at the sign in front of him. We're blessed. He pans around. There's another one. We're just so blessed. And blessed that he blessed. And thankful over here and blessed. And he's going around his house and there's all these plaques of being blessed and all these things. He's he's mocking it in a way because he knows this is ridiculous. That's a plaque to buy at Hobby Lobby right here. I'm going to make one. I don't know how it'll sell. But they can be platitudes. Now, I'm all for being blessed, and I'm all for trusting in God. I'm all for writing scriptures on the doorposts of your heart, as well as the doorposts of your actual house. That's great. I'm all for that. Just make sure they're not platitudes. Make sure you mean it in your home. 
Don't put them up as talismans against evil and warding off spirits and, you know, vampires and werewolves and stuff around your house. Mean it, you know. Put it up because it's touched your heart, because it's changed your life, because you live by that, you know. Not in hopes that some through osmosis it'll come off the wall and change your family. Platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. So he's, that, that's a long poetic way of saying, I'm about to pray. You guys wanted me to pray. You wanted me to seek the Lord. You wanted me to open up my heart to God. Well, be quiet and listen up. Here I go. Only two things do not do to me then I will not hide myself from you. So he's talking to God. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Then call and I will answer or let me speak. Then you respond to me. Now God is going to answer this prayer. He's listening. Now I'm sure this is more theatrical than an actual prayer. That's my guess. Sometimes you know how people pray so that you can hear what they're praying. They're not talking to God. They're talking to everybody. And, you know, this is kind of one of those moments here. Because God's listening, saying, oh, okay, you want me to answer this? And he does. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? And will you pursue dry stubble? In other words, I'm nothing compared to you. Why are you so focused on me right now? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. So he's thinking, am I paying for something that I did way, way, way back when I was a little kid or when I was a, you know, a junior high kid or when I was a high school kid? Are you, are you picking on me for something way back then? I can identify with that. I took my dad and my sister, we went up to see his sister. You don't care. We went up to Sioux City, my hometown, my stomping grounds. <laughs> We're driving around. He's just telling me, I want to go see my house on Douglas. I want to see my house on Pierce. I want to go to see this. I want to see this. I want to see. All right. So I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just a chauffeur. And we're driving around and I'm looking around and memories are flooding. I'm like, I was arrested there. And my dad noticed that too. He goes, hey, isn't that, the, isn't that the box you were vandalizing when you got arrested the first time? I said, yeah, that's right, dad, thanks. You know, put that pin on Google right there for everybody to see. And then we go over to his favorite little fast food restaurant, Tasty in and Out, only one in the country or whatever. Just, they, they make, you know, you don't care. <laughs> that's where I was in my motorcycle accident. Yep, and that's where I was arrested the second time over there. And then I drove around a little bit further, and I don't think we ever got to the third place I was arrested. We, never, oh, we did. We did. We went right by the movie theater where I was arrested the third time. And I'm like, ah, uh, ah, uh, what a creepy little bratty kid. What a terrible teenager to try to raise. And I'm looking at my dad saying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. You know, 
the sins of our youth. Oh my goodness, so grateful for God's forgiveness and that he doesn't hold those against me like I hold those things against myself, which is the point. He doesn't have a Google pin dropped on all these spots. I do, but he doesn't. And that's what Job is concerned with. Are, you, are, you, are, are we bringing up past? You put my feet in the stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Now he's looking at his own flesh because that's exactly what his flesh looks like right now. Moth-eaten, holes all over the place, boils, raw, open sores. I'm decaying. I can smell myself, you know, kind of thing. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Life's like a vapor. You know, time's, time goes quickly. And do you, do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. I know that you can't do that. I know that I'm dirty. I understand. He's acknowledging the fact that although he said earlier that he was just and blameless, he knows why he's just and blameless. It's because of the sacrifices that he, was, that he offered. He knows that. But he knows he's not clean. You can't do that. No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed, you have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass 120 days. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes his day. Now, all these things that Job has been saying about the, what he needs. I need, remember last week, I need someone who can be a mediator. I need someone who can uh, do miraculous things, who can do, you know. And he's making this list of what he needs God to be for him. And we have the advantage, we have 2020 vision because we have the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ. We're like, hey, you're describing his son, the one he's going to send. You know, now, he doesn't know that, but he's describing what he needs. And God's saying, yep, you do need that. Because no, not one of you can make something clean out of something's dirty. None of you can do that. I can do that, but you can't do that. Look away from him and hate. Hate uh, that he may rest like a hired man, he finishes his day. For there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again. And that its tender shoots will not cease, though its root may grow old in the earth. And its stump may die in the ground. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last where is he? That's it. There is no coming forth of life. There is no uh, resurrection. There is no, like the trees, we whack them down and sure enough, you know, there it comes. It's, it's trying, not, not us, but man dies. He lays away. As water disappears from the sea and the river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, they will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave and that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Could we just end this now? If a man dies, shall he live again? Will he? We know that. Absolutely. Absolutely we will. 
All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. But as a mountain falls and crumbles away and as a rock is moved from its place and as water wears away stones, as a torrent washes away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor and he doesn't know it because he's dead, you know. How do I know what's going to happen to my kids after I'm gone? They're brought low and he doesn't perceive it. I don't know. With all the preparations that, you know, if you, you know, what do you want your funeral to be like? I really don't care. <laughs> I won't be there, you know, kind of thing. It's whatever you guys want. Whatever you guys want is just fine with me. Well, yeah, but what would you like? What's your favorite song? I don't think you want to play that at my funeral, you know? (laughs) No, just you do. You do. Whatever you guys want to do. Whatever helps you guys through it or whatever. Because, and that's one of the things as a dad you think about. If I was gone, the only thing I can leave behind for them is maybe resources for them to continue on the best they can and become whoever they're supposed to become. But I won't know. I won't know if they've become honorable or if they've, you know, fallen. So Job's kind of right there. I mean, we'll know a little bit, but we don't have control over it. Um, it's a dangerous thing to think you have some kind of control after you die over the people around you. You know, That's a bad thing. But his flesh will be in pain over it, and his soul will moan, mourn over it. Now, here's the hope. I couldn't leave it there. I mean, it's like, okay, let's go home now in the rainy, dreary Sunday here, you know, with the words, but his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it because we don't end our lives that way. We have hope. In John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, the scripture I tried to take you to earlier, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a great way to end the service this morning with that question. Do you believe that? Or are you in Job's case where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to turn to dust. And that's the end of it all. It doesn't have to be like that for you. Jesus says, if you believe in him, you're going to have everlasting life. That although you may die down here, you're not going to die that second death. You're going to live with him forever. And that's something that you need to believe in. And so that's where we, we live off today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Job and his heart and the difficulties he's going through. I don't want to be the fourth counselor here trying to, I don't know, criticize him and his thoughts and what he's going through. It's, we need to learn from it. We need to take everything we can away from it. And yet I understand that Satan's grip is on his life. It's hard, and he just keeps squeezing. And until you step in here at the last four chapters, it doesn't end. It doesn't end until you show up. And so we have pity and we have compassion for him. And uh, there by, the, by your grace, that's, we, I know the phrase is, there by the grace of God go I, but how do I pray that? Um, we know that we could be in his shoes. And so we want to handle this right. We want to go through the trials and tribulations that we go through, although not compared to his, they might be less. We want to go through them well. We want to go through them with knowledge, with understanding, with scripture, with a changed heart, with a, 
with praise on our lips, with thanksgiving on our hearts for what you've done. And so we pray that you keep these things in our hearts, that although we may not need them today, like we started off this morning, but we may need them later. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring these things to our remembrance, the things we've learned, that we'd be able to use them and apply them when the time is right. That if we're counselors, that we'd remember what not to say. And if we become counselors, that we'd remember what we're supposed to say and do. And if we find ourselves in Job's shoes, Lord, help us to respond appropriately to you, who you are, for who you are. You're our king. You're the love of our life. You're our father in heaven. You're our friend. You're our savior. You're everything to us. And um, we love you like you love us. We thank you for that. Thank you for that love you've given us. And we respond with our lives and give it to you. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, and maybe they need to make that personal decision, they need to trust in you, that this life wouldn't be meaningless, that it wouldn't be uh, just dust at the end. Um, Pray with me. Jesus, I believe on you for my salvation. I know that my sins have separated me from you. Things I've thought, things I've done. And yet because you love me, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins instead of me. And all of my sins that I ever committed, are committing or will commit, commit, were placed on the cross. It's all been paid for. I thank you for that. And so I believe on you. I believe on your son Jesus. I trust in him. And I want you to come into my life, come into my heart. Would you change me from the inside out? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and begin to take away those things that aren't pleasing to you? Add things to my life that are pleasing to you, that I'd walk in a, a spiritual walk and not just a fleshy walk in this world. But I'd think about you and I'd think about people and their souls and their hearts and see them the way you see them and be a minister of yours, be an ambassador for you. That's what we desire. And so we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.